Well, good evening, and thank you all for being here today. When Mike first asked me to do this, he did it in a very smart way. I'll commend him for that. He sent me an email asking me up front if I would preach on a Sunday evening service. And that sentence was immediately followed by, but before you say no, I'll gladly help you with sermon prep. I'm very thankful for the help that he and many other people here in the room have given me um, in working on this sermon, and I pray that this will be an encouragement to you all. So tonight, as Mike has mentioned, we'll be learning about peace. Peace is something all of us desire. It's something that world leaders work to achieve and preserve for their people. For example, during the Cold War, President Ronald Reagan famously said, Peace is not the absence of conflict. It is the ability to handle conflict by peaceful means. This quote, along with many other actions by the United States during that time period, attempted to achieve peace through strength by showing both political and military power. We see this mantra of peace through strength reiterated today as tensions continue to rise in the Middle East and Asia, causing many people to feel anxious about the days ahead. For many, achieving peace is a never-ending struggle. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 2.17. That's on page 977 in the Bibles provided. While you're turning there, allow me to offer some historical background for our text this evening. So during this time period, the Roman Empire was experiencing peace during what was called the Pax Romana. The Roman Empire had successfully put down all of its major opponents, and the known world experienced peace from conflict for roughly two centuries, from approximately B.C. 27 to A.D. 180. However, to the Jews, who were under the rule of Rome during this time period, peace was an elusive promise. Their scribes and scholars had long studied the promises found in Isaiah 9, 6-7. says there, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice, with righteousness from that time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now that promise in their minds was supposed to come in the form of strength. They fully anticipated their Messiah to come and overthrow the Roman government through military and political conquest. Little did they know, or accept, or expect for that matter, that the one who would bring the message of peace to the world would be born in a small town called Bethlehem. He wouldn't just bring a message of peace. He would be the one in whom peace could be found. Though God sent his son Jesus, many of the Jews rejected him and his message because he wasn't the savior they had anticipated. Following Jesus' death and resurrection, the followers of Jesus received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and they began to boldly proclaim the gospel. It is through this boldness the Apostle Paul was converted and subsequently began preaching the gospel to the Gentiles after being commissioned by God to do so. This brings us to our text, Ephesians 2.17. Now, for the purpose of trying to get the whole context here, we're going to read Ephesians 2.11-19. through 19. But we'll spend most of our time focusing on verse 17. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in, in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, 
and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has been made both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both in God, in, to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were near and those who were far off. For through him we have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now besides peace, which is the message that's being brought, there are three important aspects of this verse to take away. So those of you who keep notes, here's your three points for tonight. Jesus is our peace. Jesus is peace for those who are near. And Jesus is peace to those who are far off. First, Jesus is our peace. He, in the verse 17, refers to Jesus, the person responsible for bringing the message of peace. Without him, no message could be brought and no salvation could be obtained. He rightfully stated in John 14, 6, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one can come to the Father except through him. No one simply means no one. We have all sinned against the one true God who created us, sustains us, and deserves our undivided praise. Because of our sin, we are at war with God, and the only end to that war is through peace that we find in Jesus. On the cross, he died, taking the punishment for the sins of all of those who had ever, who ever turned from them and believe in him. Jesus took that punishment so that we could be reconciled to God, so that we might have peace with him. We have been assured that peace with God is possible on the grounds of Jesus' life and death, because three days after his death on the cross, God the Father raised Jesus from the grave. So friend, if you're here tonight, and you're not a believer or follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to come and to have peace with God through Jesus Christ by turning from your sins and placing your faith in Him. If you want to know more about what it means that Jesus can bring peace to you, then please come and find me at the door at the end of the service. I'd love to talk with you more about the peace that we have in Jesus Christ. As I said earlier, there are no other ways to achieve the peace that is promised in this message apart from the blood of Christ being shed for your sins. Now, this idea runs contrary to the culture around us that thrives on the concept of relativism. We often hear that each person can have his own path to peace so long as he believes in it. Nothing can be farther from the truth. We have numerous examples of ways people in history have sought peace. One of my favorite books in the Bible is Ecclesiastes. It shows us the futility of our relative culture. King Solomon, exalted for his wisdom, explains from the outset of the book that all is vanity. He literally had everything he wanted. He had wealth, he had wisdom, he had status, but nothing could satisfy him. Nothing could bring him lasting peace. For 12 chapters, Solomon imparts his knowledge to us and finally offers his conclusion on how to truly achieve peace and live a fulfilled life. He tells us to fear God and keep his commandments. We fear God and keep his commandments by coming to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith. Now to our second point, 
Jesus' peace for those who are near. Working our way through the verse. As I mentioned before, the Jews were promised the Messiah and were the first to receive the teachings of Christ. He spoke in synagogues across Judea and astonished crowds with his teachings. He confounded the Pharisees and he did something inconceivably radical in their eyes. He claimed to be the long-promised Messiah. Even as Jesus started gaining followers, the Pharisees and scribes saw him as a threat. For instance, after Jesus cleared the temple of tax collectors and those taking advantage of people coming to offer sacrifices, the Gospel of Mark records this in chapter 11, verse 17 through 18. There we read, Then he began to teach them and declare, Is is it not written that my house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it into a den of robbers. When the chief priests and scribes heard this, they looked for a way to kill him, for they were afraid of him, because the whole crowd was astonished at his teaching. Now the Pharisees suffered from a problem that still persists today. They sought peace on their own terms. It is not that the Pharisees didn't want the Messiah to come. Rather, they, believed the Messiah, they wanted the Messiah to come and be exactly what they believed he should be. They wanted a strong political leader that would overthrow the Romans while observing all the various rituals and customs they had instituted. In short, they wanted a Messiah, just not the one that was given to them. Jesus' words are often harshest to the Pharisees because while they may have been near in physical and religious proximity to the promise of salvation given through the Old Testament, they were far off from actually receiving it due to their own stubbornness and pride. This sin still plagues us today. Instead of allowing the scriptures to speak for themselves, many are blinded by what they personally believe about Jesus' life and teachings without having diligently studied the scriptures. To truly understand and know the message of peace, we must seek a source of truth. That source is God's word provided to us, the Bible. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, he writes, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Thankfully, you and I don't have to rely on our own understanding like the Pharisees tried to do. In his wisdom, God provided a way for us to understand his peace. And just as St. Augustine wrote in The City of God, all we have to do is take up and read. Now to our third point. Jesus is peace for those who are far off. Most likely, you and I would fall under this heading as this is a reference to Gentiles. The Gentiles were those not of Jewish descent. We see God's warning to the Israelites in the Old Testament, telling them that the dangerous heathen groups, the Gentiles, outside of the Hebrew people, who would bring about the sin of idolatry in their communities. However, after the rejection of the Messiah's message by the Jews, the gospel spread to the Gentiles as the church was scattered from Jerusalem. As I mentioned before, Paul was commissioned by God to carry the gospel to those Gentiles. This was an ironic assignment for Paul because of his previous background. He was a Jew of Jews, so to speak. For him to stoop so low and associate himself with Gentiles would have been unfathomable to the Pharisees, who were his former religious colleagues. He had faithfully observed all the law, and now he was proclaiming that he knew nothing but Christ and him crucified. That was an extremely powerful testimony for Paul to give. Now, this controversy led to many conflicts with other apostles also, namely Peter, about Paul's mission. 
Jewish believers had major concerns about allowing the uncircumcised, as mentioned earlier in Ephesians, or the Gentiles told, tended to fold without their observance of Jewish traditions. Rightly, Paul spoke out against this very ritualistic wing of the early church and valiantly proclaimed the truth that Jesus makes peace with God even for the Gentiles. We see earlier in Ephesians 2 that Paul lets the believers in Ephesus know that it is only by God's grace that they have been saved. It had nothing to do with their works. And again, hearkening back to his religious background, Paul knew that salvation did not come through his efforts, but only through the gift of God, which was freely bestowed on believers. In the wonderful words of verse 13 and 14, In Christ Jesus, those who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Well, we should conclude. Tonight's study began with a few examples of worldly peace. In fact, were I to pull out my phone right now, the likelihood of a news alert from CNN or Fox News warning me of a threat to peace somewhere in this country or around the globe would be extremely high. In Ephesians 2.17, Paul told us of the message of peace, actual, full, all-encompassing peace being preached to the Jews, those near, and the Gentiles, those who were far off. Now, if you're asking yourself, what is this peace, or you haven't been paying attention up to this point, don't worry. Paul lays it out in the verses preceding Ephesians 2.17. In verse 14 and 16, he writes, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace. And then he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. These three powerful verses clearly sum up the peace the gospel delivers. And verse 17 reminds us this peace is for everyone, not just those far off and not just those near. So long as we attempt to achieve peace by our own means, we will be left without fullness, just like King Solomon was. To those of you who are seeking peace, know that you've heard about the one who brought that message of peace to the world, Jesus. And also, my fellow believers here, I'll reference St. Augustine one more time. Take up and read. Study the grace that you have been given. You and I both know that this sinful world can never give us everlasting peace. But the grace of God that pays the debt of our sin allows and should motivate us to begin the process of sanctification where we are living out our peace with God and pursuing peace with all of the other people around us. I'll leave you with one more snippet from Ephesians 2. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Let's pray together.